How's that? Now I did my part. Thanks. We are the church. And what does that mean that we are the church? Well, here's what I want to submit to you this morning as we get started wrapping up our our sermon this morning, our, our series on grace, grow, and go. We are the church means that the church isn't something that we go to. The church isn't a building, it's not a program, and it's not a key personality or a person or a leader. The church is all of us called the redeemed, those forgiven by grace that have come together under the banner of Christ. And here's what we have to see this morning, under and behind the mission of Christ. The mission is central to everything we do. The purpose of the church is to, okay, three of you got it. That's all right. I know you didn't know it was coming. Let let me help you out. Now you've been warned it's coming. The purpose of the church is to? That's right. So the purpose of the church is for me to have a place where I can go to when I feel lonely? What is it? Make disciples. The church is a program where my kids can come and learn not to throw rocks at cars and beat up other people at school? No. Make disciples. Church isn't for us to decide what we want to do. Church is, and I want to show you this this morning, church is a movement that's organized around a mission. A movement of people that's organized around a mission that God has for that people. Now, Matthew 28, we've been looking at this several times. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Right? So we, we have broken that down into the three words that help us stay focused. Grace is reaching people with the grace, the gospel. That which God has done for us, that we could not do in our own strength and for ourselves, God did. That's grace. And so we take that grace and we go and we reach out and we draw people in to respond to that grace that they choose to receive Christ, that they choose to accept the forgiveness of sins by grace so that they can learn to become a disciple. And then once they learn to trust Jesus, we're all in this process of growing now. Being a disciple means becoming more like Jesus. There's changes There are good things that need to happen. And part of that has to do with us making choices after surrendering to Christ. Choices, lifestyles, relationships, priorities. Our character transforms to be in the likeness of Jesus more and more. And on that growth journey, we also learn that it's the mission, part of who we are as disciples, to now go. Grace, grow, Go. And that's what we want to focus on today is the go part. In fact, it even is the first word in verse 19, isn't it? Go, therefore, and make disciples. The going is referring to the movement. I think sometimes we have this idea that, that, that God, this mission, that God created the church first. And because he was so interested in just creating a church. And then after he created the church, then he said, well, now I have a church, a body, a group of people who are mine. Now I need to come up with some kind of a mission for them. What can I do? What can I do to make them busy so they stay out of trouble? Oh, I know. I'll give them the mission of going and making disciples. That's, that's backwards. That's not how it worked. The mission came first. The mission to redeem mankind came before the birth of the church. The church was born, created 
for the mission, not the mission for the church. So we as the church are created, birthed, called, encouraged, and yes, even commanded to be about the mission. And the mission has to do with this movement. It's a movement of people. And I just want to submit to you this morning, guys. Listen, think about the church in terms of a movement. If the movement isn't moving, it's not completing the mission. If people that are the church around the mission aren't moving, the mission is not being progressed. It's not being advanced. It's not happening. You know, uh, this, this, is, this is different for many of us. And I want to spend a moment just developing this. And then we're going we're gonna to take two quick overviews of two passages. And it's going to end with a very personal evaluation for each one of us. And I'm really hoping we take this evaluation seriously. So that we walk out of here with some different priorities. With a change of mind and a change of heart. To begin going. Because the truth is, the church in America today, in large part, and I'm going to say yes, Cross Point Community Church, we're not really going yet. I mean, we, we want to, and, and we, we kind of talk like it, and we, we kind of play with it a little bit, but we're not really going. We're not a movement of people advancing the mission of making disciples yet. We're right there. There's a, a significant transformation that happened in history. And I want to share it with you just briefly to show you what kind of movement happens when God's people capture the vision of the mission. You know, up until the Reformation ages, all throughout the dark ages in history, the church was relatively ineffective. There was a long period of time in history after the apostles died and the original church flourished, there was a season where the church really was sort of dormant. Not completely. God was still working in little pockets here and there. But in large part, worldwide, the mission being advanced, after the early church into the five, six, seven hundreds, the church began to experience corruption. And for almost a thousand years, the church was driven by political gain, by, by men trying to achieve man's gain. And there was an empire throughout the world that was mainly existing to advance a certain government, a certain way of thought that had nothing to do with the mission of Christ until the Reformation came. And the Reformation started this process where the church, people in the church started to look back at the scriptures and they had access to the scriptures and they began looking saying, you know what, we're not doing this. Something's not right. And the Reformation led to, to some really interesting developments. One of those in the American experiment, the settling of our own nation, there was a man named Jonathan Edwards. In the middle 1700s, 1754, he wrote a treatise on the choice, free will, and changed the prevailing thought of Christianity. He began to write that maybe, maybe every single person out there needs to make a personal choice whether they want to believe and receive salvation. Believe in Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, and receive it for themselves. Now we look back at that and we say, well, that's kind of obvious. That's kind of plain and simple. As the church today, we go, isn't that really what it's all about? But you see, up until that point, that's not what it was about. And he was, in fact, he was kicked out of his church for writing these kind of things. He was actually proposing that every single person might need to hear the gospel. 
and that they're open to receiving it. And that was radical thought, and that led to some change that, 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 that led to a, a great awakening in America, that led to the revivalists going out, and there was this massive revival that happened in America. Early 1800s, 1835, Charles Finney was, was preaching, and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people were becoming saved, redeemed, accepting the gospel, and becoming the disciples of Christ. And that led to a whole movement of explosion in, the, in, a, in a college group that, that launched a missionary effort to take the gospel beyond the American shores, the Western shores, worldwide. And we have never seen a period of time with such massive expansion of the gospel as the 17, late 17, 18, and early 1900s, all the way up until 1950. There were thousands upon thousands and nations all across the world that began to hear the gospel. And today we enjoy a large amount of success, the missionary efforts, now we're slowing down to be honest with you, but the missionary efforts have reached far and wide across this globe. All that happened when the church came to the realization that it's our job to take this gospel message to every single person on the planet. And it just took that realization it was seeing it in the scriptures and understanding that was the mission that caused people to move, to, to, to mobilize, that spread the gospel all around the globe. I mean, people were getting saved by the masses, and, and it's slowing down. Church, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm concerned. You know why it's slowing down? Because the people who are becoming disciples are failing to see that the mission is to continue and to go and to preach. And to proclaim, to proclaim the truth of the gospel. Now I want you to turn two separate scriptures. First one we're going to turn to is Luke chapter 14. And I'm going to go through Grace, Grow, Go very quickly. And then we're going to look at the go part and issue a personal challenge. Are you part of a movement? That's the question. Not a movement of Bud. Not a movement of Crosspoint. Not a movement of, of a Christian cause. Or a social endeavor. Are you... A, part of a movement of taking the gospel of Christ to everyone you know and making disciples of everyone who will choose to believe. Are you moving in that movement? Grace and go begins. Jesus is telling a, a parable in Luke 14. And you remember, it's kind of a picture of what God's up to, the big picture. What, what's he doing in all this, this redemption? And he, he plans a big supper. And those that were invited to the supper don't show up. This is a, a condemning parable for the Jewish people listening because they were, they were the people that didn't show up, the nation, God's people. But, but, but listen to what happens. In verse 21, I'm picking up right in the middle there, the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it's done as you have commanded, and there's still room. There's still room at the table of God. There's still room for those to come and feast and know of his grace and goodness and to become part of his family. There are still room for those who God wants to come, who he's inviting to come. In verse 23, it says, Then the master said to the stewards, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. He says, go out. This is, this is the mission now of the church. Go out into the highways and the hedges. You, you know, that's pretty much 
all the pathways and all the traveling places of life. The freeways today and the country roads everywhere in between. Go, he said, to the places where, you know what, uh, um, a highway and a, a, the hedge actually separated two different places, like two different, a property line, but the hedges were well-traveled places because if, if you and I had property, all the people going by wouldn't walk on your property, they wouldn't walk on mine, they'd walk along the hedge that separated the two. That was where everybody went to get to their property. And of course, the highway is, is the main transportation point between this group of properties and that group of properties. So hedges and highways were the lines of people traveling back and forth in their everyday life. What does it look like for us today? Where do the people travel in life? Go from point A to point B. They get from raising kids to putting them into school to, to uh, sports and soccer games and basketball games and then concerts and activities and camping and vacations and careers and jobs and building families. All the activity that happens in there are the highways of life. Where are people found? Can you think about all the people that, that you have reach with, that you touch, all the lives of the people in this room, every single one of you, where you go after you leave, isn't it interesting, after you leave the church building, when you go out, all the people that you talk to, that you walk by, that you encounter Monday through next Saturday, those are the highways and the hedges. And he tells the church, the church, see, it's not for you to gather here just to talk about the gospel. It's for you to go into the highways and the hedges, the places in your life where you run into people who need the gospel. And he says, go into those places, everyday life places. And then he uses this word, compel them to come in. I got news for you. This is for me, and this is for you, this is for all of us. We're not doing a whole lot of compelling today. We put on a big church event and a big activity and maybe advertise and, well, if, if, just come. Just come here. We're a nice church. Come find out how nice we are. We're good people. Come find out how good we are. What would it look like for you to go to that person in your life and spend the next three weeks doing nothing but compelling them to come to the Lord's table, to come to forgiveness that God has died for their sins he was buried and raised to give new life and forgiveness for them that will change their eternity. What would it take for you to compel that person to come in? What would you say? What would you do? How would you reorganize some of what you're going to do next week to spend time compelling those who don't know that they might come, that they might know? You see, that's what it means to go in grace. Go in grace, people. It doesn't mean just go and be nice to them. What? Listen, I'm... I'm I was going to say this later, but I'm going to say it now. What good is it to go out and just be nice to people? Well, we're supposed to go out and love people, and that's how we witness to them. Well, we're supposed to go out and love people because of who we are in Christ. That's not all we do to witness to them. And now I'm going to step on some toes here. 
Some of you are my friends, and I've heard you say this, and we've laughed about it and said it with one another. Let me challenge you this morning with truth, okay? What, what about that old saying? Preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. What about that? We're supposed to preach the gospel with our life. I wish before the next time you quoted that, you would go read its original statement. I wish you would, it was It was originally said in 1135. Francis of Assini. And that's not what he meant. What he meant is your lifestyle should back up what you say when you proclaim the good news of Christ. It shouldn't be in antithesis. It shouldn't show conflict that what you're saying isn't really true. But you have to say, you have to speak, you have to compel, you have to preach the good news, the gospel to every single person you know. That's the mission. That's what it takes for a movement of people to progress, advance the mission of God. It takes them compelling and preaching with their mouth. It's like me telling you, well, tell me your phone number and when necessary, use numbers. Go ahead. Give me directions and when necessary, use street names. You must tell people the good news of what you have seen and heard about Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. It needs to be on our lips, not just our life. It needs to be something that we're intentional. The difference between a church that reaches people and makes disciples and a church that sits on their blessed assurance and does nothing is one people care passionately enough to speak out and to reach people with it. The other ones don't care. Oh, they know, they believe, but they don't care. What kind of church isn't moving to advance the mission for which it was created? Go in grace. If you keep reading, by the way, verse 25 says, A great multitude went with him, and then Jesus turned to them, and he said this in verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Uh Uh-oh, now we're talking about moving from grace to growing, to becoming a disciple. Let's don't get hung up on this, you know, have to hate my father and mother to be a disciple? I mean, what kind of thing is Jesus asking me to do? I thought, I thought Jesus was a, a faith of people that love and forgive and show mercy and kindness. How could you hate your father and mother? It's, it's a, we're not Jewish, we don't understand. It's a, a teaching technique of the rabbis that he uses the extreme to make a point. He doesn't mean literally hate our mother and father, obviously. So what does he mean? Our commitment to being a disciple should be so consuming, so participatory, involves so much commitment that it looks like other relationships in our life have no influence. There's no other determining factor in my life other than being a disciple. That means that I'm growing and changing. My character is becoming different than it was. My value system has changed. And Jesus said, listen, make no mistake, guys. Jesus made it clear in the following verses, you should read it sometime, that there is a cost associated with being a disciple. Hey, that shouldn't scare you away. There's a cost associated with grace, grow, 
and go. You see, it's not a scary truth because what you give up, what it costs, isn't good anyway. What you give up, what it costs you to be a disciple, isn't what you're really looking for anyway. It's not what you really need. It's not going to bring the joy and the purpose and the contentment of your life like being a disciple is. Once you become a disciple, listen to me, church, look right here. Look, once you become a disciple of Christ, nothing, nothing, nothing will ever satisfy you like fulfilling the mission of Jesus Christ. Hey, that's what it means to be his disciple. And so we help one another grow, to be, grow in commitment, increase in our commitment and devotion to becoming like Christ. And hey, wherever you are this morning, I want you to know it's okay. It's okay to be right where you are. Some of you are new at this. And some of you maybe think, I'm just checking it out. I don't really know about this stuff. I'm not really to hate, hate my mother and father yet. Right? I'm not really ready to be sold out, radical freak Jesus. Like, that's okay. Nobody's asking you to do that. But there's something in front of you, one step, that God is calling you to take. One, agreeing with him, embracing what he says, momentum-building step to become more and more like him. A church that takes people with grace and helps them grow in Christ-likeness is now beginning to fulfill the mission. We're reaching them with the gospel. We're leading them to grow and to change and mature in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And then part of that becomes going. Go in grace. Go and grow. And now I want to call it go and go. Go and go and go and go. You see, once you're a disciple, you don't ever get to stop. You don't ever rest from the mission. The mission is our purpose. Is that maybe different than the way we've been living over the last year or two, five or ten? Does that bring some different aspects of life? Skip all the way down to verse 32. We'll close this thought here. Go and go. He said, he's talking about counting the cost. Make sure you understand there's a commitment here and, and be willing to, to go for it, he says in verse 32, or else while the other's still a great way off, he sends a delegation. He was talking about the don't go to war unless, unless you know what you're getting into. But look at verse 33. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all ooh, whoever does not forsake all I just want to make sure I'm reading it right, because this is, this is big. Does it say that? Whoever of you does not forsake all he has cannot be my disciple. Folks, you cannot stay the way you are and go on with God. I've been preaching this for about a year. It's a very simple message. God is moving. 
His people are to be mobilized. It's, it's a growth journey. It's a, I'm learning to do more and give more and be more involved, to be more a part of what God is doing in the world than anything else. The world's tugging at your heartstrings. The, the world's grasping and competing for your attention to steal away all your efforts and your energy and your commitments and what are you going to do next week with all your time and money. The world wants you to do worldly things with it, but you, you got to understand, everything that's worldly will fade away. Everything we invest into the world will dissipate, except that which we have participated in according to the mission of God. That lasts eternally. You see, that's the choice. That's what he's saying here. You've got to let go of all those earthly distractions and the things that you're, that you're devoted to and let them come as a response to an all-consuming devotion to the mission of making disciples. Jesus says, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say, I'll make you CEOs. He didn't say, I'll make you great at your career. He didn't say, I'll make you rich, comfortable. He didn't say, I'll give you a convenient life. He didn't say, it's all for you to sit and enjoy. He said, you will become part of my people, and we will go after people's lives. That's who we are. That's what it means to go. Take your relationships. You go places I could never go. You talk to people I could never talk to. You have influence and relationship, and opportunities all around the community, every single one of you, if we were proclaiming, if we were compelling, if we were going to them with the intentionality of my mission is to tell you about Jesus, listen, there would be a movement throughout Reading and Shasta County that not even the devil could stop. That's what it takes. That's what he's saying to do. It requires, it requires for us to be willing to go. The only thing stopping us is our commitment to go. All the power is in the gospel. All the power is in the Holy Spirit working through it. He's simply waiting on you to speak, to share, to make it your life. Become part of the movement. Disciples reach people to make disciples who make disciples that reach people and make disciples who reach people and make disciples. Do you see it? That's the mission. Hold on, time out. Time out. Everything else can go away. Everything else is secondary. Nothing else is important. Nothing should ever compete or hinder that process. Crosspoint Community Church, all of us need to be willing to go to be part of this movement. Going requires moving in the direction that you have been sent. What direction are you going? Well, see, first it helps us to understand the direction that we're sent. Guys, hear my heart. This is not about growing a church. I'm not a church growth expert. I gave that up. Been there, done that. This is not about growing a church. This is about a mission being accomplished. This is about progression of the mission that God gave us. This is about doing what he called us to do. The kingdom of God growing. Now, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. By the way, all this really started in Acts chapter 1 when it 
exploded. Might want to turn there, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I'm going to ask you two questions about your own commitment level. Isn't that nice? You get to hear a truth about what it means to be a disciple to Grace Grow Go, and then you get some very specific, what do I need to do today to obey God? You don't sound very excited about that church. You look sleepy when I say that. Do you know that that's a privilege? Did you know that, that that's not being done in every church house across America this Sunday morning? People are walking away empty and busy and confused. You walk away this morning with some very practical, here's what I need to do to be a disciple. Acts chapter 1, I just want to read for you. This is the birth, literally, of the church. Jesus has already been buried, rose from the dead, right? And now he's having this kind of last conversation with his, his followers, his original disciples. Now, what do you think Jesus is going to tell his disciples to do? purpose of the church is to? Okay. I'm pretty sure he's going to be telling them to go and make disciples somehow, right? That's going to be, here's the mission. I'm leaving. Here's what you're supposed to be doing. Okay. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him. Now, Jesus is in a resurrected form, and there he is. And they, they can ask him anything in the world, and this is what they ask him. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, think, what kind of goofy, oddball question is that? I mean, is that really what they want to know? But you've got to understand, in the life of a Jewish thinker, a Jewish disciple, that's a natural question. Here's what they're really asking. What's next? What's on? They know he's God. They know where he's going. And, and they want to know, okay, you died on the cross. You rose from the dead to defeat sin. We believe What's next on the agenda? What do we do with this information now? We're all believers. What do we do? And he said to them in verse 7, It's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. 2,000 years from now, I'll raise up a guy named Tim LaHaye, and he'll write a bunch of books, and you can read about it and know how it's all going to end. But for now, verse 8 says this, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Here's, you are part of the agenda, the very next thing that God does as a disciple. And what is it? He said, hey, you're going to receive power. Hold on, just wait right there. And when the Holy Spirit comes, it's go time. When he comes, this is going to be your job description, church. This is going to be number one on your priority list. Witness. Witness. Now, witness, there's not some secret Greek or Hebrew hidden meaning to the word. You don't learn a whole lot more about it by studying the context of the day and age. It means pretty much the same thing then that it does now. It, it's, a, it's a legal position in a courtroom where a judgment is being made and the witness is called simply to testify of something that they have personally seen and heard. Right? That's why you call a witness to the stand. 
The witness comes and he goes, well, we're trying to figure out what happened here. We don't really know. None of us were there. So let's talk to somebody who was there. The witness bears truth, evidence to what actually happened. And then it's up to everybody else to decide. The jury, the judge, the lawyers do their part, right? But the witness's only job is to say, hey, I don't know. This is what I've seen. This is what happened. I was there. This is what I know. Now you decide. That's what our job description is. That's what we're called to do. How on earth do you plan to be a witness without ever speaking the gospel message to anybody in your life? We already, found, we already learned you can't do it just with your lifestyle. I mean, come on. How does anyone's life in this room represent the power, glory, and perfection of the gospel? No, no one can live up to that. Even disciples filled with the Spirit of God, living the very best you can to abide in Christ and to be godly and to bear fruit, still doesn't tell people what Jesus did. It tells them something's different about you. It validates what you say when you do say it. It might draw them. It might entice them. They might, they might, be, they might be flavored or, or sensed to know that there's something more that they want, but at some point, every witness has to speak out. Every witness must share what they know to be true, what you have seen and heard of Jesus in your life. Now, I'm, I'm just telling you, church, has Jesus done anything in your life? You decide. I'm not saying yes or no. You need to know in your life, what has he really done? How big is what Jesus has done for you? Now, you've got to answer the question personally, just between you and God right here. What sort of impact has Jesus' death burial, and raising from the dead have for you personally? Answer the question in your, in your own heart. It means this for me. I'll tell you what it means for me. It means everlasting life. It means the forgiveness of all of my sins so that I don't have to meet the righteous requirements of the law that I could never do. It means I could be in a relationship with God for eternity because he paid the penalty for me. And I'm telling you, 150 years, 200 years, 500 years from now, that is the only thing that will matter for the rest of eternity. That's pretty big for me. That's pretty big for me. When I compare that to all the other aspects of my life, they pale and they're not even existent. Nothing else matters but that. And so how can I witness to what I know and have experienced of the gospel of God? How can I proclaim what I have seen and heard and what I know to be true, what he's done for me? How can I compel? He says you are to be witnesses. Church, I'm trying to, I'm trying to show you what God wants us to do here, okay? It's not hard. I don't know the Roman road. I've never taken evangelism explosion, continued witness training. I don't know the four spiritual laws. I don't know, I haven't memorized the entire book of John and Romans. I can't at least, hey, listen. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be. Nope. It doesn't say professors. It doesn't say experts. It says witness. You can do that. Every single one of us can do that. That's what we're called to do. That's what's exciting to do. That's what will change your 
life. And listen, if we're all doing it, we'll change our church. That's the mission that he has for us. It's a huge assignment for these 11 guys, isn't it? I mean, listen to what he's really saying. It's up to you 11 guys now. When the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to be the ones to take the gospel to every person, every people group, every tribe, every nation, every continent, all throughout the globe for the rest of time on earth. Okay. How do we do that, Lord? Oh, if, if you just keep reading, you find out that as soon as he said these things, he was taken up. He kind of started ascending up into the clouds and went up to be in heaven with God. Now, he didn't say much more beyond that. It's not recorded anyway. He didn't give him marching orders. I mean, what a huge task. There has never been a larger task given to a more incapable people. They were just regular people like you and I who had seen and heard and believed. And yet it was their mission. And think about it. 2,000 years later, all of us are here in this room reveling in the glory of a movement that was started by those 11 guys on that day because they said, yes, I will be a witness. So here's my question for you. Question number one. On the back of your outline, write this down. How on earth did this movement go with these 11 people? Well, the message captured their hearts and minds. That's what caused the movement to move. The message, the truth, captured their heart and their mind to the point where they were consumed with it, right? That's what it means to be captured. Listen, how about you? Has your mind and heart been captured by the message of the gospel? Does it control what you think, what you love, what you plan? Or do you think, love, and plan all of your life, and then at some point when the pastor gets animated enough and gets through to you finally, you think, oh, maybe I should tack this gospel message somewhere somewhere in my life. Maybe, maybe oh, oh, I know, three weeks from Tuesday when I come to Upward or when I go to Awana, maybe, maybe then, I'll, then I'll try to be a witness. You see the difference? That doesn't cause a movement. That doesn't respond by moving and advancing this message. Our hearts have to be consumed. Our minds have to be absolutely captivated by the truth of this message. You understand, just a few chapters later in Acts chapter 4, one of these guys, Peter, is standing before the Sanhedrin, and they actually tell him, listen, you are forbidden to speak the name of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4, verse 20. We don't want you to say his name. We don't want you to speak it anymore. And Peter, speaking for the rest of the apostles, said, you do what you want. You make your own judgment. But I cannot but speak what I have seen. When it comes to the movement of advancing the mission, the apostles couldn't be shut up. Today, we can't get you to speak up. You see the extreme opposite day in an age which we live? That's why the mission is not being advanced anymore. It's not because we need more training. We don't need more resources. It's because our hearts and our minds has not been captured, has not been consumed, has not been driven by this truth. Jesus died on the cross. 
You guys remember what we're talking about, by the way, what grace is? Hey, listen. The greatest rescue operation of all time. God the creator came to his creation who could not measure up to his expectation, chose to be a rebellious people that murdered him, chose their own way over his way every single time. That's called sin nature. And yet allowed himself to be the one acceptable sacrificial payment for their forgiveness. Do you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Come on, church. I mean, do you really forget church answers? Forget what the person next to you thinks. When nobody's looking, when it's just you, do you really believe that he did that? Because I'm telling you, if I really believe that, why am I not sharing it? What's going on? My, my, something in my heart is missing. Something either I don't understand it or I haven't been captured by it. He was raised from the dead. He literally was dead and came back to life. After taking on all the punishment, judgment of all of our sin combined. To show us that there's more to life after forgiveness. To be able to help us live our lives and choose what is right. Folks, this is the important message. This is the most important message there ever was and there ever will be for eternity. And you have been a witness. You have been allowed to not only see it, but you've been allowed to receive it and be blessed by it. And everything else in life is going to be temporary. That will last for eternity. That's the one thing. Why does it not capture your heart and your mind? To the point where you cannot shut up about it. What has cooled your jets? What has poured water on the fire in your life? Why aren't you preaching it at every hilltop, every turn, every chance you get? Second question. Well, what did it take for them to create this movement in response to what Jesus said, not only did it capture the message, their hearts and minds, but they also then yielded themselves to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, didn't they? Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He tells them, wait right here. Isn't it revealing to us? Come on, church, think about it. Don't get started yet. Here's this great mission. Don't start until I give you something that's going to help you. What has the Holy Spirit been given to the believer for? Watch this. The advancement of the mission. Have you ever stopped to consider? I mean, we think the Holy Spirit has been given in our lives for us. Well, he's supposed to help me so that I can resist temptation. He's supposed to bear fruit in my life and tell me what to do. When I don't know what to do, when I'm scared, when I need comfort, when I need joy, when I, when I, when I. And it's interesting, of course, the Holy Spirit does all that. But it's interesting that any time in the book of Luke 
or Acts, by the way, Luke wrote both of them, anytime you read reference that a person was filled with the Holy Spirit, the very next thing that's recorded is they preached, they proclaimed, they shared. When the Holy Spirit does a work in the heart of the disciple, the good news of the Word of God comes out of the mouth of the disciple. Not just action, but words. I'm trying to get you to see something here, church. The Holy Spirit's been given to you, a disciple, for two reasons. Give spiritual gifts. Every single one of us has a spiritual gift that we've been given. And by the way, you read and study in the Bible why those gifts are given. It says spiritual gifts are given so that we can all work in cooperation together, the church, to advance the mission. And then the Holy Spirit is also given for each one then to be able to testify of God's word. For each one to speak it. For each one, listen. I'm trying. I I want you to hear my heart this morning, church. Forget the ending that I had planned to finish off the message with a nice refined closure. Listen. I'm trying to find out from God, and I'm pleading with God every day and every night, what does it take, God, for us to bring this challenge and this truth to a congregation, church of your people, and for them to leave and not forget it? Why, do, why as pastors, do we have to jump up and down and scream and create a big event and be dramatic and and have all kinds of training and plead with you and encourage and give you all kinds of resources just to get you to do what the Holy Spirit is pleading with you to do. What is it going to take? I invited four people to church this Sunday. How many did you invite? I shared Christ with two people this week. How many times did you speak and share your faith? Now listen, I don't think two's very many. I need to get busy. There are more people in my life, and I missed some opportunities. But I'm not expecting you, church, congregation, every single person to do what God isn't calling me to do. But I'm telling you, if you're waiting on me to invite people to this church, to preach the gospel, for them to get saved here at the altar, baptized there, and then come to my classes to be discipled, we're going to be a very, very tiny church. And the mission of God isn't going to go very far. At Cross Point Community Church, we have a process to help us stay focused. It's called Grace, Grow, and Go. It's central, it's sequential, and it's cyclical, and it's the center of everything we do. So my question to you as we close today is where are you going? Has your heart and mind been captured by the message of the gospel and the mission? Are you surrendering, giving up, saying yes to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God in you? That's all it takes for us to get a movement going. That's all it takes for the mission of God to be advanced. And by the way, when that happens, 
all this other stuff that we're trying to see and accomplish in our church will happen automatically. Stop chasing after all the fringe stuff that are the benefits and result of genuine revival and let's focus on reaching people so that there is revival. This week I spoke to a friend of mine in Ada, Oklahoma, pastoring a church. It's about the same size as ours, maybe a little bit bigger. And, and they have been praying and going into their community. In the last two weeks, they had 189 people trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Just a little church like ours. 53 baptisms last week. And people are growing and becoming like disciples. And one lady said, what does it mean for people in your church to go to be on mission? He said, one lady came to me and he said, I'll explain it to you this way. She said, you know what, I'm so excited about what God is doing here. I'm going to stop taking my kids to all those soccer practices and I'm going to come serve at church. And most of us think, wow, she's really impressed with the mission of the church and she's going to make sacrifice. And that's what Jesus means when he says, it costs to be a disciple. And here's what he said to her. His, his response back to her was enlightening for me, helpful for me. He said, why don't you stay at soccer practice and make that your ministry instead of coming back here? Whoa. When the people of the church start seeing their life and proclaiming the grace-filled message to people in their life as the ministry, that's when people start getting saved. That's when things will change. That's when we fill every chair and every pew, and that's when a movement starts that, by the way, will eventually reach our missions, taking the gospel globally. This first, right here. It starts with you and I. And I want to ask you, right now, don't make a decision and don't intend to fulfill it. But right now, I want to ask you to make a decision before God. Would you pray with me? We'll bow our heads, close our eyes, and make decisions together. Wherever you are in your faith, you might be visiting this morning. Maybe all this is new to you and you think, oh my goodness, what is this movement all about? And the decision that lies before you is very simple. Will you choose to believe Jesus Christ died for your sins? Will you believe? And if that's your choice this morning, let me lead you in a prayer. Very important prayer. It'll change your entire life for eternity. It goes something like this. You pray. God, I know I sin. My sin separates us can't be good enough to do it right all the time. I'm guilty. But I believe you, Jesus, died on the cross to pay for my sins. And this morning I believe that it was for me and I received forgiveness. I believe. Come into my life. I want to be your follower. And then there are those of us, at some point, you've made a choice like that. You made a decision. And guess what? As we're praying here, God answered. 
forgave you of all your sins. The choice is this for you this morning. Will you go? Will you go to grace, help, invite people, reach people, draw them in? Will you go to grow? Will you help people and you yourself become more and more like Jesus? Will you go to go? Will you become part of the movement of the mission of Jesus Christ? God, that message hasn't captivated my heart. I'm still distracted with stuff. I just want to get rid of it all this morning. I'll let it go. Lord, help me to be consumed with your mission. Help me to be part. Holy Spirit, I say yes to you to proclaim, to testify, to be a witness to people in my life. As you're praying, church, I'd like to invite you to take out your chat card. Just wherever you are, just reach up in front and grab that card, communication card. Would you do that? Go ahead, church. Now, you're praying to God. Ask God what he wants you to do. Right here, right now. In light of the truth, serious, if you're excited, write down on that card, here's what I will do for you, Lord. Here's how I'm going to obey you. Here's a person that I know that I must testify to Jesus about. Here's a person context, a place I will testify. And we agree, Father, and commit to be your church. Church you called and created to be on mission for your message, your gospel. Cross Point Community Church, we say yes, Lord. That's our mission. We're going to do it. We say yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Kind of a different ending to our, our sermon. Let me just take that chat card now. We're just going to keep worshiping. Is that okay? Can we have your permission to keep worshiping? Do you like this if you give me? Okay. Now, Part of worshiping is giving to the Lord. I love God so much. He's done so much for me. I want to give back to him. I want to obey him and give him what he's asked me to give. Part of that is your chat card. 
What did he tell you to do? What is he asking for you to do? You get to put that card in the offering plate as part of your offering to God. I'm giving to God my yes. It's just as important, if not more important, than any dollars that get in the plate. So guys are going to help with offering come forward. I invite you also, as an act of worship, to also participate by giving financially. You Listen, church, we give every single Sunday not to the church, but we give to God. The church is a steward of those offerings. And we get to see how it works with God to give him glory. But listen, what would you give him this morning? What, what is God saying? Here's what's honoring to me. Don't, don't be afraid. Listen, I'm not going to apologize for asking you to put a whole bunch of money in those plates. It's not for me. It's for God. And you find out when you trust God with your finances, he takes care of every other part of your life and grabs your heart with the message in a way that you've never known before. So let's all give together as we worship this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we give unto you this morning an offering. We pray that you'd bless this offering, that every dollar, every check, every card that we put in is unto you. That it's pleasing to you, God. That it reflects all who you really are. Thank you for everything you've given us, Lord. Thank you for this family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.